So Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments, right? So the root of obedience, the root of compliance is relationship and love. And then, and then the outflow of that is that God knows best for our lives. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today is Eric. Hey, glad to be here. And Tracy. Morning. And Karen. Morning. Greetings from Iowa, everyone. I am I am yeah. the remote one. Yeah, I am the remote one this week. I am in my wife's aunt's sewing room, <laughs> sitting uh, recording uh, from Hartley, Iowa, way up in the northwest corner of the state. So it's uh, I'm I'm an hour ahead of you guys, and we're talking schedules earlier, and I'm looking at my <laughs> I'm looking at my clock on my computer, going, oh, we really need to get going then. But uh, I'm an hour ahead, so. I'm ahead of the game. You guys want to know what happens? Any stock tips or anything like that? <laughs> yeah, please let us know what happens in the future. <laughs> well, the sun came up, and uh, that's about all I know. So, yeah, that's where I am. We're here for Easter weekend. We're recording this the Saturday of Easter weekend. And uh, so and that's why I'm here, I guess. I don't know. But, um, yeah, just contemplating all the things that Easter entails and and the sacrifice that Jesus made, and the resurrection, and um, all the implications of that. It's just a lot to think about. And hopefully, you as our listeners are considering those things as well as you hear this, and hopefully your Easter was was uh, was good, and you had a, uh, a good time of reflection. So, let's get into our discussion this morning. We are in, let's see, we are picking up in First Chronicles sort of starting in ch- chapter 23 really everything good starts in chapter 28 though and um let's see where were we last week because there was a lot of, there's been a lot of things going on the last couple of weeks in the life of david and his son solomon and absalom and david wanted to build a temple and basically god had told him that he wasn't going to be able to do that and so where we pick up this morning is with Solomon has been instructed to build the temple. Now, he isn't quite king yet in our in our reading. It's it's been bouncing back and forth in the reading of who's where and what's who's doing what at what time. But David pulls together all of these assembly uh these uh leaders of Israel and he tells them all that he wanted to build a temple for God, but God turned him down because of his violent history. But David points out God did still choose him to be king. And so through that, then his son Solomon will be will be raised up to be king next. And Solomon is going to be the one who's going to build the temple. God said, moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever if he is steadfast to observe my commandments and my judgments. Now, that's something that we've talked about here a lot of times. There's a lot of if-then statements in the Bible where uh, if a promise is made by God, a lot of times there is... Uh, there's some responsibility on our part to to do something. It's no different here for Solomon, where he's going to be expected, if he wants God's blessing, he's going to be expected to toe the line a bit. And David says to Solomon, if you seek him, if you seek God, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. What do you guys think? I mean, we, I guess we have a little bit of foresight in having probably read through a lot of these stories before and knowing where Solomon where Solomon goes, because things start off well with Solomon, but we know that things don't end up so great down the road. 
Well, it's a journey. Every human life. I mean, you have your, you know, you fall in love with God. You step up to the responsibilities he's given you. You live up to them in the fullest. And then somewhere along the line, you get distracted or you get busy or it feels like it's not important anymore. And so you kind of fade off in your devotion. And then after a while, you notice again, oh, shoot, no, I'm not doing this right. I need to kind of renew this. I mean, to me, that's prime human condition for planet earth and it's more obvious for him because he's in charge of a nation and he has an, a huge harem and riches beyond compare and more horses than you can count you know what i mean but i think i think he's just sort of a bigger shinier example of what every human goes through mm-hmm. you know, i like to look at it too and i think i mentioned this a couple of weeks ago is that that it, it is a journey you know and to keep on fire and keep that zeal is hard and I think at yeah. sometimes you have your peaks and your valleys. And and while we look at David and think, you know, we automatically go to David and Goliath that, you know, this is his whole life. We get a, a picture of his whole life, the ups, the downs, the the poor decisions. But then, too, I think, you know, there was a time where we saw where we said, you know what? He didn't ask the Lord what he should do first. You know, and then you start to see the mistakes that are made and the trials and the tribulations and the removal of protection. And but then you see him come back and you see him talk to the Lord and see what he should do. And, you know, in the twilight of life. So I think it's just that whole life journey that, you know what, you you can be on fire. You can make mistakes. But you know what? God always provides a way back. And and I think David is a good example of that. And and I think through the whole thing, it's he still remains, you know, uh, a man after God's own heart. Mm-hmm. Well, David gives Solomon the plans, and it, this is interesting to me because I hadn't quite thought about this before. But it says he gives him the plans that he had by the Spirit. So the plans that David gives Solomon to build this temple are given to him directly by the Holy Spirit, much like the plans for the original. Uh, tabernacle were given to Moses by, I guess you could say by the Holy Spirit. So God's got his hands right in, right in this thing. And that, that sparks interest in me because when we get into chapter 29 and we start talking about what's going to go into the, into the temple, as far as what, I mean, as far as building the temple, how, how it's the, the extravagance involved with building the temple, it seems very different from a lot of our ways of looking at building churches these days. When we when we look at how elaborate the temple was and it w- being inspired by God to be so elaborate, and I mean, we talk about um, the things that going in. There's things like gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, precious stones, marble, talks about David putting his personal treasure into it. And these days, it seems like we're constantly fighting a budget. It seems like, in fact, there's a lot of times where very much, you know, we just need a place, which is fine. But, uh, you know, I've been in some places where it's like, well, we don't want to put a lot of money into this. We don't want to, we don't want to go overboard on our church. What do you guys think of that? Well, I think there's a lot of stuff going on here. We kind of, we skipped over first Chronicles 23 to 27, and there's some clues in there about all this. Okay. 
Um, one of the things is, is that it starts off in First Chronicles 23. It's, it's uh, how they divided the Levites to do some of this stuff. And it's obvious there are a lot of people behind this. This isn't a local congregation of 125 people. Mm-hmm. You know, when they divided the, the Levites, I, I believe it was uh, 24,000 that they yeah. assigned to different jobs. So you had, okay, just for example, you had 4,000 professional musicians to serve. Think about a congregation that has a budget for 4,000 professional musicians. You're you're talking about a pretty big church here. Yeah. And what we're dealing with here in the service of the tabernacle itself is that it's the national church. Like this is the one destination for the entire nation. And people have pitched in. A lot towards it. it. It's pretty shocking. In First Chronicles twenty six, we see that. See, we we think that you know, like David saved up for this, and he did. David contributed a lot, and we'll see some of this stuff later. But Saul had set aside riches for this temple. Abner had set aside riches for this temple. I, I kind of just I had assumed. You know, I did not assume. I mean, I've read through the Bible before, but I kind of forgot this. But reading with anticipation of where we're going now is like, oh wow, wait. Saul was setting aside stuff for the temple. Abner was setting stuff aside for the temple. We see later that Joab set aside things for the temple. So you had you had the everybody in the country, not just kind of the the region, um, pitching in on this thing. And this was the um, they were in a different position than than we are now, which I think good for both time periods actually because. Their religious service ceremony system was essentially, well, I mean, it was a, it was a monarchy, but it was kind of a uh, theocracy, theistic monarchy in the sense that the priests were also the civic leaders, right? And right. us humans, we tried that in the Middle Ages um, with the uh, uh, worldwide church, and it went badly because, as it turns out, humans can't handle that much power. Um, but so that's, what's, I think really different from our perspective now it's yeah. And we all live in Colorado in, in the same town. We, we couldn't pitch up a temple like this, like not even if everybody in the, in the County pitched together to do this. But if now, if everybody in the Western half of the United States pitched in, we could come up with something amazing. Even then I will say though, as we get to the, to the literally you know, as we skip ahead in First Chronicles twenty-nine, uh, one person gave uh, five, the three thousand talents of gold. I think that was David, yeah. and then everybody else pitched in another five thousand talents of gold. Just I did a little bit of math on that. That turns out to be about three hundred and twenty tons of gold. Wow. Like I'm not sure we could pitch that much together in North America. <laughs> so I don't know how much gold is out there. I mean, I don't know what's in Fort Knox, right? But basically, the 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 scale that Matt's talking about here of the riches that were put into this temple are kind of beyond our imagination. 
Yeah, and that's and that's just gold. Then you've got silver right. and bronze and timber, and it just goes on and on and on. It's it's incredible that list. I did the same thing, Eric. I sat and did math and was just like, wait, how many tons? of like with the silver it specifically refers to it as refined silver so it's not raw like it's already been refined it's it's good to go and it, and it's for plating the walls wow wow did any of you guys did any of you all just kind of imagine how big would a pile of that be mm. yes i did <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah it was quite the uh, feat to bring all that together i mean I don't think I don't think I'll ever in my natural lifetime. I don't think I will ever see anything quite like uh, the temple that was in Jerusalem. I guess none of us. Uh, no, it was truly a marvel of, the, and we get we move ahead. People came from other nations just to see this thing. Mm -hmm. Right? Wow! Yeah. This is a, and now it was supposed to be that way. Let's not forget this that that this was supposed to be amazing, but it wasn't supposed to be self serving. Mm -hmm. Right, and we get that mixed up in our lives—spiritual life, monetary life, political life—you name it, doesn't matter. We get that mixed up that that these things, in and of themselves, are not bad. We just have a terrible propensity to use them wrong, to yeah. idolize them, put too much weight on them. Yeah. Well, yeah. Verse one of chapter twenty-nine puts that right into perspective for us because it talks about how how did it put it? It says. The work is great because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Yeah. You know, we do have some amazing churches and temples. I, there, I was doing a job a few weeks ago, and I went by a relatively new uh, Mormon temple over in Fort Collins. Oh, and wow. it's a it's a big, it's a big, beautiful building. Very interesting. I mean, I don't know what goes on in there. I'm not, I'm not a Mormon. I'm not personally are not currently close friends with any Mormons. I have heard that you have to be invited to be to be allowed into that building, which is strikes me a little odd. But 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 my point being, it's just it's this amazing building. And these days we can kind of look at you know big extravagant churches, and sometimes we go, well, we know where their money goes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and that's and that's been a problem. You know, since forever, it, you know, when Moses collected the offerings for the tabernacle, it was they were so willing and they were doing it by choice that Moses had to tell them to to stop. Sometimes in modern times, you know, from now, depending on the church, uh, all the way back to through the Middle Ages, people weren't necessarily giving out of their generosity of their hearts. They were they had a pretty heavy hammer held over their head and you will give this much or you will be sentenced to hell or purgatory. Well, and I think I think the sort of the the human grandeur of your place of worship. And I think you were kind of alluding to this earlier like how do we handle this? Is there is there worship value in an elaborate, gorgeous, awe-inspiring worship environment? Does that is that human's best effort to give respect to God and point to his glory? Well, in this case, I think the, the clear answer to that is yes, because it's not even human effort. It's God's plans. Like God says, here's how I want you to build my temple. So clearly, at least in some ways, there's value to this to God. 
And yet we humans are so easily distracted from God that it seems like anything that interrupts our view of him, we we pause and we focus on that instead. And hey, now we're now we're worshiping that instead, at least yeah. in the focus of our thoughts, which really is the root of idolization. It's like, yes. well, what do you spend your time thinking about? What are you prioritizing? And so yes. that's where it gets tricky. And I think that th if you look throughout history, the things that I see is there's been periods of time where grandeur and awe-inspiring architecture and give-until-you-bleed generosity has been the order of the day. And then there's been other points in history where it was like, no, you can literally sit in the humblest home, tip your face to the sky, and connect with God. Like, this requires no special ambiance. So I really think there's value to both, both types of worship. And, you know, different religions, I think, over history have kind of emphasized different aspects of that. But I think for the human experience, I at least have, I at least find value in the entire spectrum. There are times when I want to go to church and I, I, there was one fellow in our church, in the church that I go to that at one point said, well, yeah, what difference does it make if you're at church or at home? Sitting in church should be like sitting in your own living room with your friends. You're just all worshiping God now, right? And that's a very relaxed, intimate, come-as-you-are type of ambiance. And that is one worship attitude. And, and your surroundings would look different. Like, if that's what you're doing, you can't walk into the grand cathedrals of the earth and feel like you're in your living room having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with God. That's not what that inspires, Right. So I don't know. There's a big difference. I think it's all valuable. I think any way that you can worship God, he deserves it. Mm -hmm. And But I think the biggest sort of weakness to building these grand, elaborate things is that they become the focus mm -hmm. and the rituals that go on there become the focus instead of seeing through them to the God they're supposed to point you to. And I can see that. And I think we had a, a pretty good glimpse of it, you know, that kind of feeling and that kind of you know, grand worship and intimate worship, especially here and recently with COVID, where a lot of us went to the Zoom, the YouTube platforms and that kind of thing for church. And, you know, some of it was, you know, received well and other people just didn't enjoy it much. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's all those things. All those things. I want to go back to one that you mentioned earlier, Matt. You were referring to something else, but the, the verse itself is really powerful. It's in First Chronicles 28, 9. Uh, 9 and 10. They yeah. are some of the just most amazing verses. I want to, I want to read them in case our listeners aren't able to look it up right now. First uh, Chronicles 28, 9 and 10. And you, Solomon, my son... Know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you say, forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. That verse nine has so much going on in it. It's oh yeah, it's yeah. kind of um, amazing. There's, uh, I just want to hit a couple things where he's where David is saying to his son, "Know the God of your father." He's saying, "Yeah, you know what? I served him," and then he says, "But serve him with a whole heart and willing mind." Basically, he's saying, "You, as I read it, 
you have to take the torch. Like you inherited my genetics, but you did not inherit my relationship with God. Like you can't. I mean, my daughter looked a little bit like me, more like my wife, luckily. And <laughs> my son, you know, resembles me in some ways in character and the way he looks, but neither one of them can inherit my experience or a relationship with anybody. They can't. Think about this. And you, you all who are parents, you run across old friends from high school or college or whatever. You're like, oh, hey, awesome. Great to." And your kids are standing around rolling their eyes. They're like, oh, seriously, why? Uh, how long is dad going to be talking to them? No, why do they have that attitude? Because they don't know this other person, right? They right. didn't get some kind of magical relationship with this person just because I had a relationship with them in the past. And I think that that's our situation with God. Just because our parents walked with God or were a pastor or our grandparents were missionaries or whatever, that doesn't buy us anything. It buys us maybe some opportunity to say, hey, wow, there's a thing I can have, but we need to do it our own. Then the next part, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. What do you all think about that? That's, That's a bit sobering. Sobering. That's exactly the word I was going to use. Yeah. <laughs> when I yeah. read this, I, I had a more personal experience with this because when I read it, I think it was one of those things that, that almost every, to me personally, every parent should almost say to their, their child, you know, that, that parting word when maybe they, they leave the nest. So when my son went to the Coast Guard, this was, you know, kind of, you know, in a, in a way, something that I told him. And then I would, I think I did the parenting thing and I was always reminding him, hey, did you go to church? Did you go to church this weekend? Did you go to church? And he came back to me with this exactly. He's like, dad, I'm not sure I have the same relationship with God that you do. I'm working on it right now. And it was, in a way, it was a little bit heartbreaking to me, but it brought this home right here that, you know what? I can't form that relationship with God for him. It has to be personal. And I think when you're on, when you go through life, you develop these things because sometimes, and and there's some of us here right now that have had certain medical conditions that, you know, with our spouses that, change that and alter that and and make us more um see our own mortality and and how precious life is you know through our spouse and it's just one of those things it's a journey of life that you know when this is what forms your relationship and your your foundation and your core with god and nobody else can do it for you it's very personal 100 percent, right it's it's, it's interesting that we see we see David actually interacting with Solomon as his son in some sort of proactive way. His other sons, it was just kind of like he put the dial on auto and sent him out the door. I don't really know. It's not really a lot talked about. But we see David actually being pretty like Solomon. Let me tell you something. And there's more he talks about later, too. Uh, More political stuff. But um, I find it interesting. Also here where the Lord searches hearts and understands every plan and thought. I think that's that's just worth saying like, well, there's a statement. <laughs> there's a fact. Yeah. David's saying this thing and like gravity, whether you believe in it or not, is really not what's the acting force here. And then where he says, if you see, this is the great news, though. If you seek him, 
he will be found by you. I think that is true of all of us today. That's all of our listeners. That's everybody here on the podcast. That if we, and actually, that's what I'm, I'm speaking today. I'm teaching at the worship hour at a church. And um, that's what I'm going to talk about is if you seek God with all your heart, he will be, that's a promise. He will be found by you. Not you might find him or you might figure it out or he might show up. Or if you just, the thing that you have to do, it says, if you seek him, that's your job. Yeah. Right. And if you're listening to this podcast, I believe that's a step in that relationship. It's not the whole relationship because we can't do it for you. We just talked about that. <laughs> right. Right. But if you're seeking God, he will reveal himself to you. Yeah. Karen, did you have something you want to say? I did, but it was piggybacking off of what Tracy said. So the moment passed. <laughs> okay. Well, then I will cut you right out of there. All right. All right. Um, um, I do think it's important for our listeners to know that I am putting on makeup uh, as we as we speak, and I look way better than I did when we started recording. My eyebrows came out great today. <laughs> awesome. Please just tell us you're not driving while podcasting and doing the makeup. I, I am not driving, podcasting, okay. and eyebrowing. I am just <laughs> podcasting and eyebrowing. Got to pick two of the three. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, not not three's too much. <laughs> well, let's see. the The back half of chapter twenty nine is uh, it's 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 titled David's praise to God. And there's one verse in there in particular that stood out to me. It was verse fourteen, yep. where he says, "Who am I, and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you." And of your own, we have given you. Yes. So all this extravagance we're talking about, all this generosity from the people, all of this is only because God gave it to them in the in, in the first place. Exactly. And that is that is a, I don't know. I think it's a vital thing for us to remember. Yes. Even even if we do tend to be a generous person. Remember that the generosity isn't you being generous because something was given to you to begin with. Yes. Yeah, I know you've gone to work and you've earned this, blah, 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 you know, that stuff. All this stuff still came from God. All of this is there because God has decided you can handle this. This is for you. This is for you to deal with. I'm going to give you this this piece to take care of. And it's it's a it's just kind of an amazing um uh, mind, mind frame. So, you know what I'm trying to say because my my mouth doesn't know what I'm trying to say, but um, that's correct. yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, a, a, a frame of mind to remember where everything comes from. That's what I'm trying to say, Eric. To that point, it's interesting in First Chronicles 27 where they were talking about the duties of these and that and the other people. They were set aside as stewards. And a steward is somebody who takes care of the wealth and riches for someone else. They don't own it. They manage it. Right. And it's interesting. I, I realized that, that we are stewards. You know, this, this idea of uh, for all things come from you and of you and of your own, we have given you. It kind of reminds me of my kids. You know, my kid, my my wife will say, oh, it's Christmas time coming up. What do you want to get for daddy? I'm like, we don't know. And so I give them $5 and then they buy me something for $5. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
Wow, you're 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 easy, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> and and the thing is that um, it the thing is is that if they give it out of a willing heart and they give it back, they don't feel like, oh man, I want to keep this for myself. There is a generous spirit there, but also that's that's how it is with us and God. We're we're giving back only that which He gave to us. And I think it's relevant as it skips ahead right to um, to verse 17. It says, I know, my God, that you test the heart. And that these things, because that's right in the middle of things. It's, it's things, things, things in 14. And then there's all these things, you know, come up later. Is that they can be a test for us. And these, these people, David and his other people, gave these things with an open hand, realizing that God gave it to them. Because think about it, most of this gold came from battles. They, they, weren't, they weren't like mining this stuff. They didn't have a big industrial operation. God gave them victory over these enemies, and they just kind of walked in and took the stuff and took it back. If, if you look back up until now, we see like, oh, and this was devoted to God. You know, they took the, the spoils and a lot of this was devoted to God from, from years and years and years going on. So like you said, Matt, God gave them the victories. They're giving it back. Well, and I was thinking that, too, about the Israelites, about, you know, the same, the, the temple, the sanctuary that they built, the tent, which is about as fancy of a tent as you can get out in the in the wilderness. Like, uh, how did that go? Like, God inspired the Egyptians to give the Israelites just tons of gems and gold and cloth and everything else as they're leaving Egypt. And exactly. and then it says, and so the Israelites plundered the Egyptians. Yes. Yeah. God inspired them to be like, here, here's a basket full of the most valuable things I own. Take this when you run away and go carry this around in the desert with you. And then look, there was a purpose for it later. So... You know, from that point of view, if God has constructed your life in such a way that you that you that you live well, partially it's what God provides you, and partially it's how you handle what God provides you. But you you ought to, as a steward, find yourself with surplus so that and I think Paul talks about this in the New Testament, so that when there's need around you, you are more than able to meet it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would point this out that we we're, we're easy to skip over this and go well I don't have that much gold. Right. I don't Everybody is given talents. Every single person. For for starters, in case you doubt this, everybody listening here gets exactly the same number of minutes in the day as everybody on this podcast. We that's a that is a, you we okay right there we're all on level ground, hundred percent. We all have different, t- Karen's very musical. For those of you who are listening who don't know, Karen has the gift of, of um, music. She has a talent I don't have, and she uses that. She blesses others with that talent. I can't just say, oh, boo-hoo, I don't have that. I have no talents. Well, I have different talents. I don't have the same ones she has. This podcast exists because Matt felt you know, compelled to start this podcast. And he followed through on it. Matt was given talents to do things, and he used those talents. We all have talents that we can use for God in different ways. And that's a between us and God and between us and our fellow man kind of a thing. It's too easy to slip into the, well, I don't have a bar of gold I can drop in the offering plate, so I'm excused. Mm. 
everybody has talents. Yeah, it's like the widow's might. Well, I want to jump forward in chronology, but we're going to jump backwards physically in pages of the Bible here. We're going to jump up to, uh, or jump back, I guess, however you want to look at it, to the book of First Kings. So we start a new book today, First Kings chapter 1. Now, here's a little interesting tidbit in some of the notes in my Bible. Um, at one time, the book of Samuel, we think of it now as First uh, and Second Samuel. There was a time when First and Second Samuel was known as First and Second Kings, and First and Second Kings was known as Third and Fourth Kings. So let that confuse you for a moment. But yeah, and but for for ease of finding things for us in 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 more modern times, things have been have been uh, uh, separated out a little bit differently. Now, I had a little wrinkle put into my brain on something here in one of the um, notes here in First Kings of how how things are divided in the Bible. And apparently, I don't, I'm going to probably completely mispronounce this word, the Septuagint. Septuagint? Septuagint, thank you, that's yeah. it, Septuagint. That would be the Greek translations of, of what we're reading, I believe. And sometimes we get the divisions in these weird places because the Septuagint, I guess, required more scroll space than the Hebrew. I don't know why they couldn't write smaller, but, <laughs> you know, that's, that's what it's... That's, that's what's written here in my Bible. But you know those times you come to a, the end of a chapter and it's like it's cut off in the middle of a thought and then it kept, picks the thought up again on the next chapter. You're like, why did they separate that there? Well, it seems to be maybe it's because that's where a scroll ended. And then you pick up the next scroll and you keep reading and then we called it a chapter, you know. Um, just uh, That was just sort of an interesting little tidbit in my brain going, oh, okay. I kind of get it now because there's been a lot of times I'm reading through. I'm like, why did they? Why did they stop that there? Why didn't they just go another half a paragraph? You know. So anyway, if I haven't confused you enough with all of that, in the book of First Kings, chapter one, we get uh, some more fun family political intrigue. David at this point is seventy years old, and apparently he's got bad circulation. Can't keep himself warm. Comes up with this. <laughs> somebody comes up with a plan. I asked my wife if this plan would be okay. How do you answer? You were still allowed to make the trip. Uh, yeah. Well, we were already in the car, and I said, "Hey, hey, listen to this. If I when I get old and old and cold, this is what I want to happen." And she says, "If you could find a woman to do that for you, you go for it." <laughs> So then tell the readers what the plan was, what they would what so, do. So the plan is 70-year-old, wrinkly, crotchety David can't stay warm. And somebody says, you know what? Let's find him a nice young virgin to take care of him and keep him warm. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly how this was going on. I don't know if she'd curl up with him and, you know, use body heat to keep him warm. I think uh, literally that's what the deal was. I yeah. think so. Yeah. I think so. Uh, but, you know, it's funny because it says right, right there, it says, uh, how did I put it in mind? It says the king did not know her. And when we're talking about somebody knowing something, we're talking about like the same kind of knowing as, as Adam knowing his wife and then they have a baby, you know. So there was nothing sexual happening here, but just, you know, David had this nice, pretty young girl to, 
curl up next to him in, in bed and keep him warm. Now, here, there's, there's a lot in this story because we see Abishag, the Shunammite, that's her name. She's the most beautiful one they can find in the entire nation. That's a, and such we a think sexy about this, it's like, oh, how awful is this? This is terrible. It's like, it would be hard to imagine an honor higher for the family of Abishag or for her than what happened to her. I mean, she went from wherever she was at and now she is like set up for life. She's the most, you know, one of the most famous women in the country. She's provided for, she's riches. She's got all this stuff going on. And I think it is, it had, she, she had political clout as well. She carried some with her, maybe not herself, but we'll see it show up later. I think it is not without reason that the author of First Kings here says, but the king knew her not. Think about David and his tendency to, um, uh, what should we say? Um, tendency to, to women? Yeah, his relationship with women. This is... This is the first, this is significant when it says, I think the king knew her not. Personally, I think maybe this was kind of our sign that David finally said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to keep, keep this thing between the guardrails here. I'm going to stay in my lane. I don't know what y'all think. So a couple of things. It wasn't in our reading today, which surprised me, and I, I need to go look it up, but there's a text somewhere where David is bemoaning the fate of aging, and he uses very poetic words to basically say that in a male way, he is now non-functional. Mm. Now, I became aware of this passage as a, <laughs> as a child because... My dad's dad wrote him a letter one time as he was aging. He was like, well, aging isn't going well for me. I'm suffering the same problems as David. And then he wrote this text. So, of course, my dad goes and looks it up and he's like, oh, dad, you know, why would he tell me, you know, why would he tell me this? Anyway, it was just a, a part of aging. Your body doesn't respond like it ought to. OK, so given that that's and it, and it was not in our reading, but it is somewhere and I need to find it. And. So I think the fact that David was suffering that particular aspect of aging and the fact that she is a virgin go hand in hand is because she needed to not come in with any kind of sense of comparison, which might lead to ridicule because David was failing as a dude. Like she she needed to come into this with no sexual expectations because at this point he had none to offer and was not trying to find that. And so I think it just kind of cleaned the slate between them. And she was an intimate caretaker without there being a sexual aspect to it. That's my thought on it. Well, I'm just going to go from a medical standpoint. When there's a, you know, some circulatory issues, <laughs> that could be the first to go. <laughs> and believe me, if you get warm, yeah, I was just kind of, you know, I just went with that aspect and didn't dig a lot deeper. Poor Dave. No. Yeah, I wondered too if you know, just getting older, if just if he just uh, was less interested in that. I mean, he had had a lot of women, um, and I, I just wonder if after a while he grew tired of it, you know. And so, yeah, you have this young girl in here. Maybe she was more granddaughterly. Of course, I don't know how many 
yeah, I don't know. I don't know. There's just uh, it's just interesting that it is very interesting to see David having this. I mean, it's still going to be a fairly intimate relationship just because of, you know, somebody's taking care of you like a nursemaid. There's uh, there's a closeness there, you know, and it's interesting to see David have this close of a relationship with a woman that he's not trying to get into bed. Uh, although I guess she probably does get into bed, but not not in that aspect. So it's a, it's just a di- it's a it's a different side of David. We've come so far from a kid throwing a rock at a giant to now a guy lying in bed and not able to stay warm. You know, it's uh, I think it's a big lesson for us on like we started the whole podcast. You know, our lives change from you know day to day, year to year, and are any of us the same person we were twenty years ago, forty years ago? You know, I think that answer is is no. I don't I don't know that any of us from a few years ago would look at ourselves now and go, oh, yeah, that's where I expected I'd be. You know, that's exactly who I thought I would be. It's just a, it's just, just a different it's a, it's an interesting thing to see in this guy's life this larger than life king, this larger than life warrior who now just needs help with everything. So that kind of that kind of goes into the other things is that David has apparently not been paying attention a lot to what's going on in his kingdom. He's been kind of just hanging out in the hanging out watching TV. Yeah. Yeah. Adonijah shows up and this is almost a rerun of um of um Oh, his name skips my head. Absalom. Absalom, thank you. Mm-hmm. Except Absalom seems to have schemed this for even longer, or maybe the author of Kings just kind of left off how long Adonijah had been working on this. But Adonijah is a brother, a half brother, anyways, to Solomon, and he. I, there's a text in here, First Kings six one six. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, "Why have you done thus and so?" Yeah. And he was a handsome man. Yep. So we got a good-looking guy who wants to put himself up as king, and his father has not ever disciplined him to the point of where he'd said to displease him. Now, if you ask my son, has your dad ever said anything to you that displeased you? I can think of an episode this week that involved beets at the dinner table. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Far from becoming a king, uh, my son is just who he is. But (laughs) <laughs> this is a thing that says something about David. It says something about parenting. And it does not go well. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because this was exactly the problem that, that caused things before with, with uh, Absalom and, um, oh, shoot, who's the other brother that Absalom? We just talked about Amnon. Amnon was the one. Amnon. You know, there's just all this stuff going on that David, he should have put, he should have had a hand on, should have put a foot down on, on these things as father. And he just didn't. He just kind of turned a blind eye. And I don't know if he just, you know, as a dad, I mean, I could say as a father, it, there's times you there's times that you have to step up and call your kid out. Why are you doing that? You know that's not going to end well. H- have you thought that through at all? You know? And it usually gets you either an eye roll or you could tell that your kid resents that you've just said that. But you know that in the long run, it was what you really had to do to try to get their 
thought process change processes changing because they're going down a way that you know is going to be bad and it's just like somehow some way David really just had a problem doing this and setting his kids straight. I don't know if it's because he didn't have a big hand on them because he's got how many wives, you know, how many sons from different wives and how much hands on does the kid, does this, does the king get with his, with his kids from his many wives, you know, who's actually taking care of them. I don't know. I think that being said too, I think it just continues down the same road that this was, Unfortunately, it was David's flaw in his parenting style. He was very hands-off. And I think we see this with everyone, all of his kids. And it just it just kind of kept going. And um, I think that's just – we're just seeing a continuation of that, that you, you know, didn't have a great parenting style. Yeah. It was one of being hands-off and not really – correcting or disciplining his kids to the point where I think it just escalated. You know, if I think if you don't, don't correct them early on, it just tends to build. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, his son, Adonijah, he decides he's going to put together himself a posse and he's got some chariots and he's got some horsemen. He's got 50 men to run around with him. And I guess that makes him think he's all that in a bag of chips. That that that's an old phrase that my kids would probably <laughs> would probably uh, roll their eyes at me for saying, but um, he apparently thinks that he's something. I don't know. In my in my mind's eye, I can kind of picture with his gold chain around his neck and his t- tank top shirt on, you know, kind of a jer- <laughs> Jersey boy type thing going on here, where he's like, like my dad's king and I'm going to be king. He decides he's going to be king. He just decides I'm going to be the king. Yeah, and these he's other people's. Some people um, support him. And it's interesting, though, verse 10 pops up right in the middle of this. But he did not invite Nathan, the prophet, or mm-hmm. Benaiah, the mighty men, or Solomon, his brother. Right. He knew who was not going to dig his plan. Yeah. And yeah. there are people, I'm going to encourage our listeners to think about this. If you're planning to do something and you know, well, I'm not going to tell so-and-so and so-and-so because they're just going to think that's a terrible idea. Stop and ask yourself, why? Are you just avoiding telling those people because you know they're going to speak truth to you? And so you don't want to? Because I know this. Come on, think about this in your own life. We want to do something and it's probably not a good idea. And so we just don't tell the people who we know are going to tell us it's a bad idea. We just go and tell the people who we know are going to tell us, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Right. Right. Yeah, that, that does seem exactly what, what happened here. He's uh, very much avoiding the people that would tell him, no, you can't do that. But even though he doesn't invite anybody to his little his little party, his little whatever you want to call it. I don't know. There's just it, this whole, the whole thing just seems like a big sort of it's just there's just a, an immaturity about what's happening here with Adonijah to me. And uh, he, he's even got this is important here. He's got Joab. Yep. And Abiathar on his side in this thing, too, which is interesting. Joab, well, interesting, but maybe not surprising, because Joab has definitely shown that he has ambition. He never had ambition to hold the power of the kingdom for himself, but he very much liked being in a a position of power where he got to do the stuff he liked to do. 
And uh, it seems like he's thinking this is going to be his best shot is with this with this uh, other son. But even though Nathan wasn't invited, Nathan still finds out and he goes to Bathsheba. Now, you want to get somebody involved um, when you know when when you have somebody who is trying to take a grab from a kid. You get mom involved. You get mama bear involved, and now you've got you've got troubles to deal with. And Nathan goes to Bathsheba, and he says, basically, Adonijah is trying to steal this thing right from underneath Solomon. Sol wasn't Solomon, you know, wasn't Solomon supposed to be the king? And and here Adonijah is is setting himself up for this. And uh, he he said talking about how Israel is watching to see who David is going to name as the successor. So they they make up they they make a plan that that uh, Bathsheba is going to go to David and confront him about this. Not confront him. Well, yeah, I guess confront him about this and remind him, hey, wasn't Solomon supposed to be king? And if you let this thing happen with Adonijah, this is going to put Solomon and me in a bad place because people then are going to think that we are the upstarts. They're going to think that we are the ones who are trying to make a grab. When you've already said Solomon is the one who's going to be king. Yeah, did you, any of you, rest of you get the idea that David had already somehow at some point said Solomon's going to be king, but then he never really did it. He didn't do the, he didn't actually follow through and make the whole thing happen. Because somewhere it said uh, Solomon was coronated again. And so it seems like some people knew that Solomon was going to be the king, but David hadn't really done this whole thing because Adonijah specifically does not invite Solomon, he invites all his other brothers. So he knows what's up. Also, it says, you know, that, that God selected Solomon. And I'm wondering, sounds like God had said, look, this is what I want to have happen. But then David didn't. He only took a half swing on this the first time. Any of the other guys get that as he read it? It could be, you know, because at the end of First Chronicles, it, there was a little brief part about Solomon being anointed, and I just sort of skipped over it, thinking that I was moving along chronologically. But maybe something had actually happened. Maybe something had already there had already been some sort of little half ceremony that was done, and but Solomon just wasn't maybe quite set up yet. Yeah, I don't really know what's going on, but basically, yeah. David knows. That, Sol that Solomon's supposed to be son. I mean, King Bathsheba knows, Nathan knows, Adiah knows, and apparently Adonijah knows. Yeah, that's yeah. the important part for this story. Mm -hmm. Well, they go to David. They talk to him. Bathsheba goes in. She starts the conversation. Nathan comes after and reaffirms what she's saying. So they're, they're kind of ganging up on David here. But And David immediately just reassures that, nope. Solomon is going to be the king, and immediately he calls Zadok the priest, he calls Nathan, and he calls Benaiah, and they have Solomon anointed. Now, while this is happening, Adonijah is having his little party, and he learns in the middle of this party that Solomon has just been anointed king. That <laughs> I could just sort of, I can imagine the, the picture here of Adonijah acting all all cool and somebody going oh yeah hey your brother just got anointed king you're you're not actually king i mean what a way to deflate what what a way to to deflate the thing the, the situation yeah not only that is i mean the, the narrative reads i mean i pictured this like a, a movie film it, it's kind of like 
Adonijah, you know, steps out to get more chips and he comes back and like, nobody's in the room anymore. He's like, where, where, where did everybody go? And they're like, oh yeah, we're out of here. Cause uh, Solomon just got anointed King and uh, yeah, catch you later. Good yeah. deal. <laughs> nice yeah. run. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, it, I don't know. There, there's a, there's a comical element. There's a, uh, there's a part of me that, that uh, really feels good to see this guy kind of get what's coming to him on this because he's just i don't know just the the assumption i'm gonna be king and hey guys let's 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 go hang out and have a party and oh yeah no not you nope but um so adonijah finds out or yeah finds out that solomon has been anointed king and and uh he tries to cover his tracks real quick here and he's 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 afraid of solomon now and he probably should be Solomon's response to him is, well, you don't really have anything to fear from me as long as you're a decent person. We'll see where that goes here in a few minutes. Yep. Now, th- as, as, you, as you mentioned this, there's, as, we, as we wrap up here for our readers, there's a whole lot of characters in this and players that we've seen introduced earlier in this story that have done things. And we've wondered, man, how long are they going to get away with this stuff? Well, the answer is until First Kings chapter 2. That's how long. Yeah. Well, the narrative cuts away here a bit to David giving some instructions to Solomon. It's like, finally, th- David, thank you for finally having some hands-on with one of your kids. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but David, he's approaching death. But then I have a question just to jump okay. in there. Uh-huh. Did David really do it or was David pushed to do it? Well, he was pushed. You oh, know, because yeah. there's a difference, you know, once again. It's not him that initiated it. It's it's uh, Bathsheba had to go to him. Um, Nathan had to go to him. It's like he has to get pushed into making these decisions with his kids. It's just never, you know what? I need to go take care of it right now. Mm. It's He always has to be pushed to do it. Yeah. And this is kind of a curiosity to me because, you know, people... In, in certain places in the Bible, God speaks very clearly to people. And he says, here's what's going to happen next. Here's who's going to be your heir. And then they don't get around to it. And so then the, the heirs or the people surrounding the heirs have to take action to make that happen. And sometimes they do it honestly. And sometimes they do it shady. And it's just it's just kind of strange. There's So, the, I mean, to me, this isn't the only example that we see in the Bible of when somebody had had specifically had their heir set out by God and yet didn't take steps to initiate that so that it could actually come into fruition. Mm-hmm. Well, David gives some advice to Solomon here in verse three. Like I'll just read the verse because I have some notes. Mm-hmm. But the verse, the verse is really, it's really good. And keep the charge of the Lord, your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Yeah. Goes kind of back to what we were talking about before, where if you want some success, if you want some success, if you, the blessings from God come from God 100%, yes, uh, but we always have some responsibility in the situation. And that's kind of what David is saying here is keep those commandments. Do those things that God has told you that are going to be good for you. And you will have you will have some prosperity. We've talked a lot on this podcast about what prosperity means in different situations. Our prosperity is not the same for every single person. 
some it is financial prosperity. Others, it's peace of mind. Others, it's influence. You know, I mean, it could be any number of things. But if you if you expect to get blessings from God, then you've got to do what God has told you to do. Yep. And yep. yeah, and that is what and that is what David is sharing with Solomon right now. Probably the best advice he could ever give him. And so, he okay, but I, I appreciate what you said, Matt, but I would throw a caveat at it because okay. I think where we started this discussion today is the actual root of it. And that is you have to have your own relationship with God. Oh, yeah. So obe obedience so that you can get a blessing is one thing. But, you know, we've got all sorts of parables and lessons throughout the Bible about how doing the right thing for the wrong reasons doesn't cut it in the end. In the end, it will be not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom. Right. Mm -hmm. So so Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Right. So the root of obedience, the root of compliance is relationship and love. And then and then the outflow of that is that God knows best for our lives. So yeah. anyway, I, I get what you're saying, but yeah, no, you're you're yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred. David follows that up. It's not like he finishes in verse three, right? He says that the Lord may establish His word that He spoke concerning me. This is specific to Solomon. I mean, there's principles we can apply to ourselves, but this is David talking to Solomon. There's something we can learn from it, but it is spoken to somebody at a specific time as a result of some things that God said specifically to them. Correct. He says, if your sons pay close attention to their way and walk before me in faithfulness, to Karen's point, with all their heart and with all their soul, yeah. you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Mm -hmm. So there's that little word, if. Yeah. And there is that following and obeying. And then there's that prospering in what you do. And then David says, yeah, it's you got to do this with all your heart and your soul. This isn't just to go through the motions kind of a thing. Right, right. Okay. Well, J David keeps on with the advice here. And uh, I know we've yeah. alluded it to we've alluded to this in the past, but he takes a very uh, a firm stance on something here. In my mind, it's all of a sudden. Yeah, he right? basically says you need. To kill Joab. Joab is far. He, he he's. You know, we've talked about his ambition uh, yep. for his his kind of lust for power. And David is like, you cannot let Joab live in your kingdom anymore. And uh, I don't know. That just came to me. That just seemed like a very sudden thing for David to finally go. I got to do something about this guy. All these things. It's kind of like all of a yeah. sudden David got like. Cold. Well, he's been like napping on the beach, and he got the cooler full of cold water dumped on him, and he jumps up. And he's like, "Well, while I'm at it, Solomon, you should do this. Uh, Joab, we're going to handle this thing here. Shimei, we're going to deal with this way. Abathar is going to retire. He like deals with all these things that he's been just not dealing with. Yeah. So all these things, all of a sudden, I, I, maybe maybe this is just end of life um, clarity. You know, I don't have any more to that I'm going to do. This is nothing's going to matter. What I say now, I don't have to worry about hurting anybody's feelings. My favorite part was where he says to Solomon, you, you have wisdom. And so you'll know how to deal with this. You'll know that they need to be killed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. oh, okay. Thanks dad. Yeah. Thanks for trusting in my wisdom like that. Yeah. That was good. 
Yeah, you'll know what to do, and what you need to do is exactly this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We do now finally see the death of David. He's he he passes on, and it's 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 short. But he, we're told that he reigned for se- uh, forty years, seven of those in Hebron, and thirty three in Jerusalem, and then David takes over. Or That's Solomon. about all we get. Thank you. <laughs> Solomon takes yeah. over, and he gets to business. Uh, we talk about we talk about a wisdom in Solomon. Uh, and it was sort of interesting to me, too, because, you know, David is known for his bloodshed. Well, Solomon kind of starts his reign that way, too. But there's a wisdom going on here. He, uh, let's see, Adonijah comes to Bathsheba, and he's still got an attitude. He's still got this, I don't know, to me it just feels like a chip on his shoulder. Not a chip on his shoulder. It's like he just feels, I don't know, a sense of entitlement here, maybe, because he's, yeah. he's the son of the king. And he's, he's older. older. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, yeah. He is the older he is the older brother here. But he's like, but he comes up, he's like to Bathsheba. He's like, you know, I was king before Solomon was king. And it was, this was taken away from me. I'm like, well, first of all, no, but whatever, you know. But um but then he says he asks if Abish he wants Abishag to be his wife. This is the woman who had been cuddling up with with, with David to keep him warm. I, I, I don't know. This was. Is there, there's a part of me that goes, okay, that's a little, little weird. But then at the same time, I'm like, well, I don't know. What's the, what's the big deal about that? But, uh, but Solomon, when he hears about this, because Bathsheba agrees to go talk to Solomon about it, and Solomon goes, well, why not? You just ask for the whole kingdom. I think this is this. There's there's more than just she's a pretty girl. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the fact that she had been with King David although mm-hmm. had not had uh, intimate relationships with her. The fact that she had, she somehow carried some kind of political clout because we saw that uh, um, when in, in the, in the previous revolution, when Absalom, the first thing Absalom does in this kingdom is like, I'm going to, I'm going to go, you know, Sleep take the David's concubines and make everybody know that now I have the privileges that David used to have. And I think that this was a, this could have been a like just guy seeks girl thing. I think it's it's see, the way David the way Solomon reacts. It tells me this was a political move. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the way the, that Solomon answers Bathsheba is definitely like, oh, this is a political move here. Mm-hmm. And Solomon wastes no time. He just says, Adonijah, we're going to put him to death today. Boom. And it's it's a done thing. We're not talking about this anymore. This is a done thing. And we see, I think this is interesting. We see Solomon is take. We've seen David kind of be passive about some things. Solomon is not. He he is like okay. What's on the list for things that need to get done? Uh, Adonijah. Okay. Well, and here's the deal. Every one of these people had an opportunity to kind of straighten their own course out before this. Adonijah had this, he, he was given grace where Solomon says, you know what? You announced yourself king. I'm going to let you stay alive, stay in your house. And sh- the quote is, if he will show himself a worthy man. Well, right. Adonijah, that's not good enough for him. He has to show up. Solomon says, okay, well, you played your card. We're done here. I think I, I agree with Eric that, you know what? Solomon gave him fair warning. And it was like, you know what? Be a good, decent person. Not one hair on your head will be hurt. That's all that was there. 
And it was. Every time we see that, sleeping with, with the concubines or the the other wives it was a big political statement. And I think this is exactly where he went, that if I could have the last woman that was with King David, then then it that just puts out a big statement there. And I think that Solomon just had to take care of it. Next thing happens is Abathar basically gets an early retirement. Solomon's like, you know what? You're done here. You and your folks are done. And it's interesting. He says, so Solomon expelled Abathar. This is verse 27 of chapter two. Solomon expelled Abathar from being a priest of the Lord, thus fulfilling the word of the Lord that he had spoken concerning the house of Eli. So this is not just just a political thing. It actually turns out to be a fulfillment of prophecy against Eli. You know, I thought it was kind of more of a, just a, like a respect for his position, which I guess it was. Yes. Um, a dual dual application, though. It's it's mm-hmm. is that's the end of Eli's priesthood. Yeah. So he gets exiled instead of executed, which, you know, l- lucky for him. Good for him. Yeah. Joab flees to the tabernacle. Is this kind of like literally a sanctuary situation where he, he says he runs into the tabernacle? How to put it? He he grabs the horns of the altar. Yeah. First of all, I didn't think I didn't think Ed just anybody was even allowed into the tabernacle. Right. But Joab runs in there and grabs onto this, and it's like he's it's sort of like he's seeking asylum there mm-hmm. a bit. Yeah. Um, kind of, kind of. But he says he says I'll die here, like. When they when yeah. they send Benaiah to to call him out, he says, "Come out here so I can kill you." And Joab says, "No, I'll die here." Right. Like right. He, said, he doesn't think that he's protecting his own life. I I I took it more as he was running to the altar of sacrifice and forgiveness, and this was his last moments in life, and this was where he was going to die. That sounds yeah. That sounds plausible. It's sort of a yeah, kind of a. He has all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, because he's clearly he's not he's not protected there because it was a Benaiah goes back to David and says, "Hey, uh, <laughs> Joab is just hanging out there. Joab's just hanging out there by the by the altar. What do you want me to do?" And and uh, Solomon is just like, "Kill him where he stands. Yep, just just take care of it." You know, I guess yeah. I don't remember any specific. Uh, uh, commands from god saying you could that somebody couldn't be killed in the temple and and um clearly that's the this the situation here because joab is not safe in the temple and and benaiah goes and it just cuts him down right there so this is this brings up an interesting thing that david calls out joab specifically for blood guilt and mm-hmm. he said he took down people in blood not in a time of war. And he draws a very clear distinction between killing in, in the sense of there's a military conflict and there's either a defensive action or any number of things like that going on and killing because this is a revenge or a, or a power play. In David's world here and in Solomon's, there is these are not in the same category. And I know that some some of my good friends view these all as the same thing. Killing is killing is killing is killing. doesn't matter. doesn't matter if you're defending your family or it doesn't matter if you're killing the grocery clerk, you know, or, or the fast food convenience person to, to rob the cash register. It's the same category mm-hmm. to them. David does not put this in the same category. And this concept of blood guilt that goes all the way back to Genesis seems to speak of something different uh, because even animals can be guilty of 
blood guilt, which is, you know, which appears to be the killing of another for no valid reason. You know, it's the ambition is not a valid reason. Revenge yeah. is not a, a valid reason. Justice is different than revenge because we're just about to talk about shimmy or shimmy. Mm. But it's interesting that the, the blood guilt that um, Joab has because he killed two other people pretty much straight out of political ambition. These other people, if you haven't listened to those other episodes or read it, is that Joab was the commander of the army. David assigned someone else to be commander of the army instead of Joab. So Joab murdered him. He right. did it twice. Yeah. And David says, this brought guilt on me, and you're going to pay for this. And Joab seems to know it. It's interesting here. Adonijah doesn't – he doesn't mount a military um, uh, fight against Solomon. doesn't seem like he's either capable of it or willing to it. Joab doesn't put up a fight or um, an argument either. He, he kind of knows this is coming. Yeah, I don't know. It's just like his little dat last ditch, uh, I don't know, effort at salvation. I, I don't think I don't think he thought he was going to get away. No. But he, he he knew. I think he knew exactly what was going on here because he had killed he'd killed Abner and Amasa. Basically, well, not basically, killed him in cold blood. I mean, yeah. right in the, right the street, they murdered were. him, you know. And, uh, you know, one of them, he grabbed him like he was going to give him a hug and shoved a, a sword through his gut, you know. And, uh, yeah, it was definitely political. It was definitely uh, amb- ambition, done through ambition and not um, not for any kind of a noble purpose at all. So Joab is out. I think he was that old kind of general, that old guard that he he was not going to go away peacefully, and so it had to be a a, a statement. And I think he just he was get, uh, grasping at straws at this point to try to go in there and grab the horns, like it was going to do something for him. But I think ultimately he knew, just like we were saying, it he was coming for him. Right. So Joab is out of the picture. Abiathar is out of the picture, and uh, Benaiah takes the place of Joab as the commander of the army. Zadok takes the place of Abiathar as priest. And then Solomon decides he's going to deal with Shimei. Now, if you remember, Shimei is the guy who, when Absalom was doing his little thing, he came out and started chucking rocks at David and calling out names and stuff. And then as soon as David came back into power, uh, Shimei comes back and and oh, I'm sorry, uh, I didn't mean it. You know, <laughs> and how uh, oh, it just—it was. I think we all—I don't know—I kind of at the time thought that was kind of odd for David to just kind of quietly accept Shimei back. But uh, Shimei doesn't get off scot-free here at all. He gets an interesting proposition put to him. It's like, okay, you, Solomon tells him you're going to come to Jerusalem and build yourself a house, and you're going to live in that house. If you ever leave Jerusalem for any reason at all, you're going to die. It's sort of a sanctuary city situation. Yeah. Where we've talked about those before, where if somebody had committed manslaughter, accidentally killing somebody, they could run to a city, one of, so one of these particular cities, and live there until, what was it, until the death of the high priest? Yeah. Uh, and if they stayed there that time, then there could be no avenging of the blood of the person they killed. Because it was an on accident and you were showing remorse. Well, same situation here, Shimei. You come to Jerusalem. You're going to live in Jerusalem. You will not leave for any reason at all. 
If you do, you're going to die. Well, some of his slaves run away. He lives there for three years. And two of his slaves, they, they run away to Gath. We don't tell, we're not told why, but they run away to Gath. And Shimei decides to go after them. He goes after them, gets, I, I assume he retrieves them, gets them, but he comes back. And Solomon is told that Shimei left and came back. And Solomon's like, okay, that's it. I told you, you don't get to leave. And he has Shimei executed. And it finishes off, verse 46 says, thus the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. So it, it, there's, it seems like kind of a brutal way to start things off, but it's just a picture of Solomon really taking the bull by the horns, not, uh, not being complacent about anything. This is now his kingdom. This is his regime. Things are going to be done the way he wants them done. And uh, there's not going to be any question about it. I think there's... he had to set, set a precedent of how he was going to rule. If he was going to be passive or if he was, like you, like you said, was going to assume control. Mm-hmm. And these are some of the things he had to do to really establish that. And I think if he would have let it go, it probably wouldn't have went well for him. So he just handled it and let him know that he was he was there. He was ready to rule. Mm-hmm. Every single one of these, though, it's very interesting in First Kings chapter 2, is he didn't set out for political revenge. This wasn't his personal ambition. He was basically finishing unfinished business. Yeah. In every one of these cases, and everybody had opportunity, I believe, to have some grace. Adonijah was, was allowed to live, but then by Adonijah's own actions, he showed his true colors and... Solomon did not hesitate with judgment. Abathar, he had played his hand and out of deference to his uh, uh, role in the tabernacle, he said, well, we won't kill you, but you're going you're gonna to go home and you're going to stay there. And at least to this point, here's interesting. Abathar, we don't have a story of Abathar not obeying that. He just disappears. You know, it's not like Adonijah, like you go home and stay home. Keep your, you know, stay below the radar and you'll be okay. Well, Adonijah couldn't do that. Shimei couldn't do that. Abiathar apparently did. Joab probably had opportunity to make amends with things. Never show, we never see a hint that he ever did. So this is unfinished business with him. And Shimei, he had a clear, I mean, it is so clear. You read First First Kings chapter two. He had a clear deal. Solomon says, you do this and you stay inside the lines. You'll be okay. Let your actions come back on you. And Shimei, he can't do it. Yeah. And so basically Solomon says, all righty, well, this is, we told you what was going to happen. Now it happens. And it's a straightforward thing. And to to Tracy's point, people now know if they were looking like, wonder what kind of king Solomon's going to be. It's like, well, if Solomon says this better happen, well, we know that that's probably what should happen because we know there are consequences when he doesn't blow it off. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder, you know, just based on our discussions with about David, how this looked to the kingdom. We had David who seemed like he had been rather complacent for quite a bit of the, at least in the last several years of his, of his reign. 
and Solomon comes in now, and he's very decisive and very direct. I'd just be curious. I would love to crawl inside the heads of some of the people of the of the time of the kingdom and and know how 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 they received this. You know, the first thing that comes to my mind is if you're riding with somebody who's driving and maybe they're not the most like alert driver. And out here in Colorado, anyways, we have um, kind of rumble strips beside the edge of the highway. So if you get over, if you cross the white line and you get over towards the uh, the uh, shoulder, it'll go like that on your tires. Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like everybody in the kingdom was watching David drive and we're drifting off to the side. It's going, and somebody's like, somebody else going to grab the wheel here. We're going to crash. What's going to happen? Yeah. I wonder if it was just, you know, basically having an old king where, you know what, he he was um, very warlike in the beginning. And then, you know, as he aged, everything kind of just slowed down and and it was kind of revamping the, the country again and getting going again with young blood, new yeah. blood. Yeah. Well, that's kind of where we leave off for this week is that Solomon has taken the reins. He is, uh, he's definitely in charge. He's showing that he's in charge and um, not going to take guff off of people. And um, it'll be interesting to see how that goes forward. Next week, we are going to, it's going to sound like a lot, but we're going to look at 1 Kings chapters 3 through 6 and 2 Chronicles 1 through 3. Now, that sounds like a lot, but here again, they, they very much are overlapping and telling the same thing. So that's where we will be next week. First Kings chapter three through six, second Chronicles one through three. In the meantime, you can reach us at ATTB podcast at the adventure.org. Send us an email, questions, comments. You think I'm not talking to you right now. I am talking to you right now. Give us, send us your emails, send us your questions. Send Matt an email. Come on, somebody. <laughs> somebody. <laughs> Anybody, anybody. My wife does it, but come on. No, seriously though, I want to know how we're. I want to know how we're reaching you. I want to. I want to know if uh, if we're if we're ticking off the marks for you. Are we? Are we answering the questions you have? Uh, I mean, if you don't send me an email, I guess I'm just going to assume that we're doing everything perfectly. So, <laughs> no, no, I'm just having some fun there. But do send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. Make sure you share the podcast with your friends and family and neighbors, and make sure you subscribe so that we reach you in your feed each and every week. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.